Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Welcome to Bubble Trouble, conversations between the independent analyst Richard Kramer, that's me, and the economist and author Will Page, where we lay out some inconvenient truths about how financial markets really work. Given the collapse of crypto fiasco FTX, we're busy trying to trademark the words bubble trouble as we're seeing it bubble up all over and burst everywhere all the time now. Now, we're not here to bask in the glory of told you so. Rather, we're trying to make sense of the nonsense. And as our most successful podcast to date was our unscripted NFTs are not for me, we turn to a man whose post on LinkedIn mocking the dubious NFTs ratcheted up a record 7 million impressions to work out... Where do we go from here? Spot the irony here. A post mocking NFTs went more viral than NFTs themselves. More in a moment. Welcome to Bubble Trouble. Please welcome and please try to pronounce properly, Clément Pouget Osmond. Will, do you want to introduce Clément to the podcast? Absolutely. It's an honor to have you here. And thank you for working all the time zones involved in this podcast. We have Paris, London and New York united for this one. So Clement, I mean, let's just allow you to grab the microphone for a second and introduce yourself, your very interesting work. And also really important for our audience, how can they follow you other than stumbling into that famous picture on LinkedIn, which we'll come to shortly. But tell us a bit about your work. Yes, <laughs> thanks a lot for having me. Nice to discuss with you. So yes, I'm Clément from France and sorry in advance if my English is not very good. I enjoy my better, best. It's better than mine. Just be écossé, it's going to be better than mine. <laughs> I'm not sure, but thanks. So yes, I, I'm here because I met post on LinkedIn where I explained that I bought NFT one year ago for like $1,000 and that is now worth almost nothing. And <laughs> it, it, it had a lot of success, as you said, a lot of impressions. It's funny because uh, this post gathered the uh, skeptics and NFT uh, degens. So both uh, publics either found it uh, funny or uh, feel like they, they have lived the situation. So that's, I'm, it was a joke from the beginning, even if it's my real story, uh, the goal was to have fun of that. So I'm happy uh, with the outcome, obviously. And, and to tell you more about me, so I'm working in the NFT field. I'm helping company to create NFT experiences. The name of my company is Bulldog. And you can follow me if you want, either on LinkedIn, I'm the most active, or on Twitter. Actually, the things I post on Twitter, I feel like I speak alone on Twitter. Nobody really cares, but this is where I share sometimes pictures of my dog. So if you're interested in that, you can join me on Twitter. Otherwise, on LinkedIn, it's a bit more serious, even if it's not always serious. 
And I, I actually have a phobia of dogs. I'm scared of dogs from my childhood. And I heard your dog either snore or growl in the background earlier today at a pre-call. And you showed me it. And it made me want to run away from a virtual dog on the screen. It's a big bulldog, correct? Yes, they are snoring very loud. That's why I came upstairs for the podcast and not downstairs with them. Otherwise, you will have this noise in the background. Well, I want to dive into the NFT question straight off the bat here. But firstly, let's just get the count. How many impressions of this LinkedIn post are you at just now? You were at 7.3 million or something? Yes, around 8 million. Whoa! You're going to do to LinkedIn what Susan Boyle did for YouTube. You're the first viral hit mocking NFTs. It's so ironic. You're going to have to (laughs) NFT that image. That's what we have to do. Right. So let's get to it. We are closing on 2022. And if I do my math, this will be the last podcast of the year. So we've had 365 days behind us. When you look back at this wild ride of 2022, how do you make sense of it all? We started off with NFT mania. Crypto is the new currency that's going to rule the world. And we end up in a bit of a brain fart, as we call it here in London, where everything's falling flat on the ground. What's your main recollections of the year? Uh, yes, so 2022, I think, is the year of the uh, bubble burst. <laughs> so it's a bit, for me, the maybe the defining moment of 2022 is the crash of Luna. I think it was in May or something like that. And in my opinion, is at that point that we uh, all agreed on the fact that okay, the bull market is finished. <laughs> now let's let's have more realistic ambitions. But before that, last year in 2021, I think another uh, defining moment was the sell of the uh, first 5,000 days by the artist uh, Beeple, which has been sold for uh, like 69 million dollars. I don't remember if it was a Christie or Sotheby, but from a traditional art gallery. So the, the, this first sale put in NFTs on the scene as, a, as something that cannot be missed by a, a traditional art actors or even traditional businesses overall. And after that, during the year 2021, it was completely crazy. And I think this is what we will remember is that the year 2021 will be remembered for a long time as the as the moment in history where people were going completely crazy on on stupid (laughs) things, myself included, obviously. But where any any monkey pictures on the blockchain was was selling for thousands of dollars. And and so obviously some of them still have value today, but we know the story now and it could have been predictable by then but yes i think my kids will maybe have fun of me when they will see what i bought in 2021 (laughs) if it's still on your phone at that point let's play salvage squad for a minute in terms of what can you salvage from 2022 and i hear this a lot like crypto is dead and then people say no it does have a future there is a purpose it just hasn't found the use case yet nfts are over and then other people say no there is a future for digital art it's It'll find a way back into the market. What would you salvage from this bubble bursting? Yes, but in my opinion, nothing has changed on the fundamentals. Obviously, the prices are much lower than it was last year. But in a sense, it's a good thing because the prices were completely crazy and this correlated to the real value of things. And for me, the fundamentals are exactly the same. Just the fundamentals, for example, of web, what we call Web3. It's a, a version of the, the internet where people are owner of their data, of their assets. 
And what Web3 want to solve is the kind of injustice that we have, for example, with Facebook or Google, where from our data, they make billions of dollars and we get nothing. And Web3 try to solve that by making people owners of, of their data. And this hasn't changed with the collapse of prices. And the, with the Web3, there are two major use cases that are still relevant. There is the, the decentralized finance, the fact that anyone can manage his own money as he wants, make loans to someone else, take credit uh, without a centralized institution. This still exists, this still works very and and the collapse of prices again doesn't change that. And obviously the other use case that I know even better is NFTs. And the, the NFTs, the problem that NFTs are solving is the fact that it has historically been very complicated to give a value to digital assets. For example, the music industry very well in music. If I'm an artist, I make one music, it's on my computer. I send the music to someone else. At the end, we both have the music and we cannot differentiate the file. Who is the original owner of the file? Mm -hmm. And this has been a problem historically with digital assets and NFTs solve that. Uh, with NFTs, I know, okay, the original file, the one that has value, that have been emitted by the artist, I can verify this ownership and so give value to this one and not to the, the other one. So all of this hasn't changed. The value, the problem that Web3, NFTs and decentralized finance want to solve still exists and can still be solved. Before I hand you over to Richard, let me just add a point there, which is I think the music industry is waking up with a very stiff hangover to the prospect of AI music. Like we have a problem with Streamflow just now and carbon copies going up on Spotify and Apple gathering streams which don't go to the owner. When you introduce AI music at scale, then you're understanding how ownership is going to work is a whole different ballgame. So it's very interesting to think about a potential use case there when AI can predict a melody that works, replicate a melody that has worked, integrate that melody into its own composition and then shove that up onto a playlist that gets all the streams. So yeah, ownership is going to be a chapter worth reading in 2023. Richard? Yeah, I want to pick up on two of the things that you mentioned there. We had one podcast earlier this year we did with a crypto fund manager where they described a process of being red-pilled so referring to the matrix and saying, the moment you take this, you can't turn back. It, we're going to a new world. But unfortunately, the ir irony of your LinkedIn post was that the monetary losses for a lot of people are real. And I know the red, red pill always looks tasty because we've seen this in many bubble troubles before in, in, in everything going back to John Law and the Mississippi investments by French, uh, by people in Parisians in the 17th, 18th century and the Dutch tulips. We know time and again that red pill leads to a bit of disaster. So I guess the question is, what shakes the confidence of true believers? Are you still a true believer having seen all of these NFT use cases that didn't pan out all of these billions of board ape transactions that didn't end up having a lasting value. Are you still a true believer here? And if not, what, what got the scales to fall from your eyes? Was it the way in which these NFTs were being used or the types of things crypto was being applied to in terms of use cases to buy? I'm just curious how you approach this world that you've been steeped in now that you're suffering personally a financial loss. 
Yes, that's a good question. Well, the first thing is that overall, I'm financially okay with with what I've done in in crypto and NFTs. And that's maybe why it's easier for me to be ironic about it because I'm not in trouble. <laughs> Many people are in trouble and maybe for them it's harder to be ironic and have fun about that, especially with the collapse of FTX. That being said, I try as much as possible to not be a crypto red pill. Everything is perfect, no FUD, uh, this kind of thing. I, uh, I don't like uh, this approach very much. I, I, on the other hand, it's when I think it's time to sell the position when everybody becomes like that. But still, yes, uh, to answer, I'm, I'm still a believer of the fundamentals that we discussed before. No problem about that. I'm obviously... Uh, conscious that uh, it's not ready yet, the, those value proposition. The decentralized finance already exists. It already allows some people that don't have access to banks to manage their own uh, financing. Uh, Bitcoin is already used by uh, some countries, even you know, El Salvador, uh, to protect themselves against the dollar mm -hmm. and things like that. So it works. But uh, yes, if we are honest, the usage today compared to the market cap and the value, there's still a, a gap as we we had the example, for example, with the metaverses with a very high valuation and low usage. So, so yes, I'm still skeptical about, about concrete usage right now. And as working in the NFT field, I see a lot of NFT projects for, from traditional companies, for example that they want to take the wave of NFTs because of PR, because it gives a good image, but they don't want to use the word NFTs because it also can have a bad image. And, and so they try to launch a project where you don't need a wallet, where you don't need crypto to get in. And for me, it will come in several years, but for now, the, I think those projects miss a bit the point right now because they won't attract the true crypto believers and they don't have enough value to bring people that are not crypto in. So I'm, yeah. I'm skeptical about a lot of things in this space, but in the short term, because coming from a company, Web2 company, with a lot of users, a lot of users and a real concrete user, when you arrive in Web3, sometimes you, you miss that. You mm. think, okay, it's, we don't have this kind of ad, but obviously it's uh, it's only a few years uh, nfts are even uh, only four years uh, before us so it will come i want to take one other angle on this because the french are famously anti-authoritarian they don't want a, a centralized authority and they're skeptical about the king or any leader <laughs> of course and and i understand that a lot of people are more supportive of cryptocurrency or decentralized finance because they've run out of conviction that the monetary authorities or the central banks have a hand in things. So in the art world, the attribution of paintings and that they are genuine is something that's done by a certain high priest or high priestess of art scholarship, and no one else can do that. And I understand that in the modern world, this will that authenticity will be something that's on the blockchain and there for everyone to see. I understand that when you call it distributed ledger technology, it's not nearly as sexy as blockchain, you know, that a lot of this has been marketing. But my question here is, do you think this is just too small of a movement to overturn the established finance world? Because again, when we've we talked on previous podcasts about crypto, it's now down to a total global market cap of something like 800 billion. And that's a tiny drop in the ocean of the 
hundreds of trillions of value of, of all sorts of other asset classes out there? Is this just an anti-authoritarian movement that needs time to, to become mainstream? I hope so. Um, I, to be honest, I agree. It's, it's very small compared to the traditional finance. And the traditional finance is maybe the strongest thing we have on the planet. So if at some point the crypto thing annoy them, they will have ways to shut it down. I don't know. But the good thing with crypto is that, and Bitcoin especially, is that you cannot shut it down. So you know Bitcoin will still exist no matter what, uh, as long as we have internet, obviously. But the moment where we don't have internet, we'll have a lot of other issues, even with traditional finance. Mm. Will it replace the traditional finance? Most likely not. But as, as long as it gives an alternative to the one who needs it, it's, it's good enough. Right. And I want to ask one simple choice question, which we hear a lot <laughs> about now in the collapse of FTX. Everybody's running to, after the fact, ex post facto, explain what happened or why it was allowed to happen. We must not allow that to happen again. Regulation. One school of thought says, don't do it. Don't regulate it because that confers legitimacy on something that we know Bitcoin has been used to buy drugs or people trafficking or all sorts of terrible use cases or weapons for all sorts of nefarious purposes, ransomware, for example. You don't want to confer legitimacy on something that's used in so many societally unwanted use cases. On the other hand, you say you have to regulate it because too many people are being sucked into schemes that where they lose all their money. They're being promised, I don't know if you follow the saga of OneCoin, there's a fabulous BBC series on OneCoin and the Crypto Queen. So many examples where people thought this was the alternative to their local currency and would be stable or keep going up, and it didn't, and they lost their life savings. So which side do you fall on? Do you think ultimately NFTs and crypto will be tightly regulated by the authorities and be legitimized? Or do you think it will always stay in that anti-authoritarian alternative ecosystem play? Well, I think it's going to be regulated. It's already regulated, actually. For example, in France, if I make money with crypto, I pay 30% of taxes on that, on the benefits. So, so there is already a regulation. Obviously, it can go further. And about legitimacy, I think, yes, Bitcoin is used for criminal activities, just like any other currencies. But it's, I think it's already legitimate. 800 billion is small compared to traditional finance, but it's still a lot of, of money. Uh, the number of very big companies, government working on it gives it a legitimacy already. And also the, all the digital currency of central banks that are going to be deployed. I don't know if it's a good thing or not, but again, it will go in the way of regulating the crypto area overall. So. For me, definitely, it will go towards more regulation. Is it good? Is it bad? I don't know. We saw it was to be regulated in the... Maybe they were too connected to the power to have uh, proper uh, controls. But in the end, even with regulation, you will still have collapses. Uh, Lehman Brothers was regulated. So it won't be perfect. And especially in the crypto world, where the technology moves very fast, the regulation will always be late. So yes, the regulation is going to happen. It won't be perfect. People will always find a way to go around it. But so yes, I think it's, uh, it's coming. Just before we go to the break there, Clement, just you mentioned that 
in France, they're taxing the profits that you make from an NFT. So if you make 100 bucks, you have to pay 30 bucks or euros in taxes. Is that correct? Yes. It's like so, for all financial gains. So what happens if you make a loss? I mean, that llama that you famously purchased for $1,060 that is now worth $30, can you offset your losses against your taxes? Well, that's a good question. To be honest, I don't know. Well, I have got your to... tax return coming up for 2022, so you're going to be finding out. <laughs> yes, I maybe mean... I have to check that. I save a lot in tax if that's the case. <laughs> there's, a lot, there's a lot of losses to cancel out those profits. And then just lastly, before we go to break, I attempted to ask this question because it leads into where I want to go in part two. But you said, <laughs> amazingly, you've had 8 million views of this post on LinkedIn about a llama that you purchased for $1,060 that's now worth 30 Are you seeing any bounce back in the price given the number of people who have viewed your post? Are we seeing like price go up the more people have viewed it? <laughs> no, Jake, <laughs> honestly. Bouge de la. Yes, when I saw the success of the post, I went to the marketplace uh, Magic Eden uh, where we, you buy NFTs on Solana to check if, if the <laughs> volume went a bit higher or not. And to be honest, my post didn't have an impact on the sales. I received the offer in comments for like $100. So <laughs> I don't know if they are still on the table, but I could have said it at this point. If this podcast does give you a bounce, we want our 20%, okay? We'll be back in part two. I'm buzzing on this one. Back soon. Welcome back to part two of our Bubble Trouble talking about NFTs and crypto with Clément Pouget-Osmond. I'm going to hand it over to Will, who's going to go deep down the rabbit hole as we typically do in the second half of our podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Merci, Clément. Clément, the question I want to go down the rabbit hole with you is on the signaling value of an NFT. And this is where I struggle with the whole concept. We thrashed this out on our NFTs Not For Me podcast, and now we have an expert like you in the studio. I think it's really important we get your take on it. But if I just think about modern art, one of the things that drives value of modern art is the art itself. But another thing is the signaling value of that art. It can be displayed in a museum, in a private home, in a public museum, in a private situation. There's a signaling value. And if I think about other things which attract incredible values handbags the value of a handbag could be the make and the texture and the feel of that handbag but another part of the value proposition is that people see that woman walking down regent street in london wearing that beautiful handbag it's a signaling value it's look what i've been able to purchase look what i've been able to achieve look what i aspire to be that signaling value is at the core of all marketing it's the core of all luxury goods but NFTs don't have that signaling value because the only person who gets to see it is me and whoever leans over my shoulder and peers at my mobile phone for two or three seconds. And I'm wondering whether that lack of signaling value kind of pulled a plug on what was, in the first half of this year, a luxury good and what is, in the second half of this year, down the toilet. What is the role of the signaling value in creating luxury goods and does that, in your mind, as an expert in this field, apply to NFTs the same way? Yes, I love that question because, in my opinion, the signaling value is maybe the what gives the most value to NFTs uh, right now. And you, your example is, is interesting. You say, if I have a luxury bag, for example, I can show it around, like, okay, my friends, I can see it, people in the streets no, can... And strangers can see it. A stranger can't see your NFT, but a stranger can see that art. A stranger can see that handbag. 
Well, a stranger can see NFTs. Uh, my llama has been seen by eight <laughs> <million> strangers. <laughs> And no jo jokes <laughs> aside, with, uh, for example, you have a Chanel bag. You wear it for uh, two years. You walk around uh, your city. Maybe in two years, like, I don't know, let's say 10,000 people will see. If you have a Bortiz and you put it as your profile picture on Twitter, for example. Well, on Twitter, millions of people can see it. And so the signaling effect, what people are looking for, where they buy expensive clothes, they are not buying the bag, they're buying the message. Look, I have more money than you, I have better taste. And with NFTs, it's exactly the same. When you buy an NFT, you buy a club membership. And the, the, it's all digital. But as we spend more and more time online, to be able to show off digitally has even more value than showing off in the real life because we interact with more people online than in real life. So if you want to show off, actually it's a better investment to buy an NFT where millions of people can see it rather than a luxury bag that, okay, maybe your friend, a stranger in the street will see, but in the end, you can reach even more people online. And one more thing on this is that, for example, the Bordeaux Pierre Club, if we talk about interesting value, I know that is something you discussed in the previous podcast, uh, that uh, it's hard to give interesting value to NFTs. And so if you see it as a membership, like I buy an NFT, I be belong to a community. And for example, if we take the Bordeaux, which is the most famous and prestigious NFT community, having this membership is like having a membership to your uh, golf course, uh, prestigious golf course uh, near to you. You don't buy that only to play golf. You could buy a membership way cheaper somewhere else. You buy that because you want to be in a nice place with important people and send the social message. And with Bordape, when you buy a Bordape, actually, if I buy one Bordape Yacht Club, it will be like an investment of 50,000 euros. But it will give me, for example, credibility on LinkedIn to show that I'm an NFT expert, I know it well, and it will bring me contracts for, uh, from potential clients. So, so it has this kind of interesting value, obviously. The community itself needs to be strong and, and have some, some interest, but that's so the signaling. I think the signaling part is it's what really, for me, drives the value of NFTs right now. May I just push back on one little thing there, just one wee thing that you mentioned, yes. which is maybe only a few hundred people can see that women wear a really posh handbag on the street, but millions of people can see their NFT. How do we know that millions are seeing and how do we know that they're appreciating? You could have a million people looking at an NFT of a llama that you purchased for $1,060 thinking, what a douchebag. That's not... The same thing as a few hundred people seeing that woman wear a really posh handbag on Regent Street thinking, that's really elegant. So <laughs> quality and quantity are not the same things here when we look at signaling value, surely. How do we get attribution from the people who are viewing these forms of digital art? How do we know what they are, A, they're actually looking at it, and B, they are actually appreciating it? That's where I think signaling value comes in. Yes, the appreciation, it's, it would be subjective. Like people can look at the bag of this lady and think I ate this bag and, and uh, what has she done? Why did she spend so many, so much money on it? Same as NFTs. But mm -hmm. actually, for example, if you're on Twitter and especially on crypto Twitter, where uh, every people discuss about that, you know that everyone will love your board ape, will give you a social statue like you are an OG in the space. Uh, either you were early and this gives you credibility, or either you have a lot of money, and it's also a kind of credibility. So actually, you 
cannot be sure 100% of people will have a better opinion of you with that. But it's what gives the interest in, in the community. If the community behind the project is, uh, is good, with good value, good, good connection between the members, uh, then showing off this membership will, will be valuable. For me, it's the, exactly the same. If you were a brand in the street, uh, will people like that or not? How many people will see it? Uh, you're, you're not sure. I, I think I'd like to dig in on two things we touched on in past podcasts. On the NFTs, not for me, we really we talked about wash trades and how the value of some NFTs had been inflated because they changed hands between related parties several times until they found someone crazy enough to pay the most inflated price that together they could produce. And equally, something else we talked about and got into with Mar Sir Martin Sorrell on our podcast about the ad market was how, on the other side of the ledger, the cost of producing these artifacts is so low. It's near zero. So the cost of coming up with the artwork to produce a digital artifact is... The only really the cost of designing it for the artist. One doesn't imagine that there was a huge years of art school required to produce the bored ape, right? So how do you square those two things with the value that comes from exclusivity? The golf course or golf club analogy you mentioned before, presumably it's because not everyone could join that club, even if they had the money, even if they were part of a community there, because they you wouldn't bid up the golf course membership between two parties until it was so expensive that only the very richest could join. And equally, when you join that golf club or any other community, you feel like you're getting something tangible, that there is some cost to maintaining the club or cost to producing the artwork or shared value for all the artworks that gives it that intrinsic value that, and here the cost of production is so near zero, how do you anchor that value will be lasting? So I guess those are the big questions for me. How do you deal with the fact that you could easily and you have easily seen artificial inflation of values? And if even if those values are not are inflated and they come down, how do you know they keep their exclusivity? Because there's nothing stopping Bored Ape Yacht Club from making thousands more of their NFTs. Yes. So... Uh for the first question about wash uh, trades, I think obviously it's a, it's a problem with NFTs and and uh, crypto. I never seen this myself on a collection. I was able to to see it by with my eyes, but uh, I know it happens. It also happens on uh, traditional markets, like uh, in the traditional art market, on the traditional finance market. So I think it happens more in crypto, to be honest. But the term wash trade existed before, and it will continue to exist after. So yes, it's a problem. Uh, it's easier to manipulate the prices in the crypto space than somewhere else. So that's why you have to be have to be well informed. One common phrase is do your own research, and it's really important to take time before investing where in crypto and and make sure the project is reliable. And even when you do that, you end up with Luna or FTX. So it's obviously it's hard to to avoid those kind of market manipulations, but. With NFTs, it's easier. There is less money at stake, even if there is a big collection. And it's easier to spot it. But yes, it's a problem. But how yes. do you cope with the fact that the cost of production is yes. near zero? Well, so uh, there's nothing stopping from a popular NFT from having thousands more issued and crashing the market. 
And you can't have that with stocks in a company or real estate or handbags. I mean, you, Hermes can't not make millions and millions of Birkin bags. That's why they have this exclusivity value. Well, actually, they could. Uh, it's a strategy to do very few like Ferrari, could do more cars. It's just their strategy. And actually, it's, it's kind of the same with uh, NFT collection. As you say, the Board Ape Yacht Club could, could mean many more uh, NFTs. But if they do that, they lose the credibility of their community members. And this is everything for them. So if they are doing that, they are, everyone will start selling their Board Ape. So they, they won't have value. They, it's, so they have to... It's they have to keep this this trust, this community feeling. So even and even if the cost is very low, and it's not zero because the cost of producing may be low, but there are a lot of marketing costs actually to run an NFT project, also technical costs to develop the smart contract, the website, the different application where you can interact with the blockchain. This has a cost, the marketing efforts to maintain the community, engage everything. It costs a lot, so. The cost is not zero, but yes, theoretically, they could print uh, many more NFTs, but doing this reduces the scarcity. So it's always a balance uh, to find, to maintain the, the good level of scarcity that keeps people engaged. We, and, uh, yeah, it's like if you build one too many houses, you collapse the property market, right? <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. Clément, let's turn to our final segment, which we call Smoke Signals. And we try to give our audience ways or advice of how to spot bubble troubles ahead, and certainly heading into 2023, we'll see plenty more of those. But it's those things that make you go, uh-uh, or whoops, or uh, something that just makes you cringe. What signals in this world of decentralized finance and tokenized assets do you think uh, people need to look out for in 2023? <laughs> what makes you This is going to really be good. This is going to be run good. Run for the hills. <laughs> Alonzi, allez les bleus, let's go. <laughs> yes, that's a very good question. And I hope I will give good advices. For the story, I started, I bought my first Bitcoins two years ago, like in November 2020. So I'm not that, uh, I'm not a real OG from the beginnings. But still, that is what is good is that in 2021, we had two bull runs. So I've been able to learn from the first one when it went very high, it went very low, and then it went up again. So I learned from the first phase. <laughs> where I kept my crypto all the time and I was able to sell at a good price during the second phase of the bubble. And what made me sell actually was the big amounts of, of shit coins, <laughs> like the dog, the meme coins. There was a, a lot of meme coins one year ago in a, Exactly at this point, if you go on my Twitter, I checked that the other day, I've sent the, like two tweets in December last year saying, okay, we deserve a, a bear market. At this time, the prices were still very high, but things were going completely crazy. Like any meme coins had millions of valuation. And at this point, I was like, okay, it's not, it's not LC at all. Something, it's... It was uh, it was too many red flags when you when you see every small project launching its coin and its coin having millions of value. Where I come from, the startup world and have millions of valuation. It's a lot of work and they, there are real things behind. So the level of, of stupidity on the market one year ago really uh, really warned me. And uh, so at this time, I I sold almost all my cryptocurrencies. 
I bought after uh, even higher than it is now, so uh, I'm not. Uh, I won't say I make always the, the best move, obviously, and you saw it with the llama. But these warnings, I think, are important to follow. Uh, this is a stupid market in both ways. When it goes up, it goes uh, really high, and you see you see when things are becoming very stupid. And at this point, I think it's good to sell. On the other hand, I think right now, for example, people are really panicking and and it's maybe a good time to, to buy some. Obviously, not financial advice, but... You don't have your thumbs up there. Yeah. <laughs> and a, sec a second one? <laughs> and, uh, and yes, the second one, it's more about NFTs. But if you are looking to invest in a project, I recommend to be very careful about the gap between the promises and the team behind it. Often you see a very small project where the team is not known at all, having a very high promises, like we're going to build the metaverse, and play to earn a game, we are going to do merchandising, and the, it smells bad. So yes, be careful about, about two beautiful promises. If Mark Zuckerberg is promising to spend 10 or 15 billion dollars a year on R&D to create the metaverse and he still only has a tiny amount of players on Horizon Worlds, you know that anybody else saying they're going to build it on the cheap is going to have a very hard time. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Clement, I've got to say, I think only the French should be allowed to pronounce the acronym OG because the way that you said it was just beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> um, we're going to bring the podcast to a wrap here but I think what's really important for our audience having you on the show and with this buzz and mania around NFTs going high then going low but if they were to contact you for financial advice like your 8 million viewed post claims what does Bulldog Art do? What problems do you solve? If somebody was to go to your website after listening to the podcast what would they learn about the work that you actually do for clients? Yes, thanks for asking. So basically what we do is that we help companies, like traditional companies, to construct uh, NFTs experience. Like we, we help them on the, let's say, on the strategy. What is the best way for them to enter the Web3 space? And then we build technically the tools that they need. If it's NFT collection, the website where people can, can interact with their NFTs, give utility to them. And, and so that's, that's what we do. We help seize and turn the web tree so that they can well use this new way of engaging with their community and with a new audience from the crypto space. Now, is, there, is there one company or one client you'd like to point to as best practice where it really worked out well? Well, for me, one, one good example, it's not our client, unfortunately, but it's, it's mm -hmm. who, did, who did very well in the crypto space because the they tried many things and and they've launched several collections some partnerships with p collection uh, like a lot of little uh, characters they also made a very cool partnership with super art gallery so for me it's a good example you don't know exactly what will be the best way for your brand to enter the web tree and to take advantage of it but even a brand like Gucci tried different things and iterate on that and they show a, a genuine interest in it and it went very well for them. The people, there are a lot of good, good feedbacks from the community. So I think it's a, it's a good example of, of how to apprehend the, this new concept. You have to try to test things uh, honestly and uh, not just for PR, but with a real intention of, of connecting with the new generation of internet users. I'd like to thank our guest Clément Pouget-Osmond for a fascinating explication du texte 
about NFTs and decentralized finance. We'll be returning to this topic many more times, I'm sure. With that, I'm Richard Kramer, and thanks to my co-host, Will Page, for another great episode of Bubble Trouble. And most importantly, as we wrap up the final Bubble Trouble podcast of 2022, we want to wish all of our listeners across all of the time zones, across all of the languages, a very happy new year. Bon année. Feliz año nuevo. Frohes Weihnacht. Frohes neues Jahr. And a very happy Hogmanay to all of our listeners. See you in 2023 and watch out for those bubble troubles ahead. If you're new to Bubble Trouble, we hope you'll follow the show wherever you listen to podcasts. Bubble Trouble is produced by Eric Newsom, Jesse Baker, and Julia Natt at Magnificent Noise. You can learn more at bubbletroublepodcast.com. Will Page and I will see you next time. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.